You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to the Essential Apple Podcast, a show where we cover the last 7 to 10 days in the world of Apple news, reviews, rumors, roundup, gossip, tech, and, well, basically... Anything else that catches our eye, this is the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello. Yes, we're back. Well, I'm back. Mark is stuck in a traffic jam in sunny Pembrokeshire because I think he went out and forgot that the minute the sun comes out, the tourists descend and clog all the roads in West Wales. So Mark hopefully will uh, join us later when he's managed to make his way back home. But uh, for now, I am joined by Vic Hudson. Hello, Vic. Hello. Hello. So, Vic, um, do you want to introduce yourself? I know you uh, appear on quite a few podcasts. Would you like to tell everybody about that? Uh, yeah, my name is Vic Hudson. I'm an appleholic. Um, <laughs> uh, I've, I've been floating around the internet for a few years, uh, participating in a, a few other podcasts. I'm a, a, an occasional co-host on Pragmatic with John Chigi on the Engineer Network. Um, John Chigi and I do Bubble Sort with our friend Clay. I am the occasional third co-host or fill-in co-host for, I guess I'm an unofficial host of Pocket Size Podcast with Scott and Ronnie. And several years back, I did a short run of a podcast called App Story Podcast, where I interviewed independent app developers about the, the story behind the apps that they made. All right. Okay. And I take it that's still available to download? It is. It is still available. Um, I have hopes of one day resuming it, but... Uh, it, it's been on hiatus for a long time. If I'm realistic, I don't know if it's going to come back or not. It was a, a lot of work. Tracking down guests and stuff like that tended to be a little bit more than I originally thought it would be. So, Yeah, I admit that's, uh, that is quite a lot of hard work. I'm, I'm glad to say uh, for our show here, although I do uh, you know, track down some guests, uh, I'm mightily assisted by John Nemo, who does a fabulous job for us of tracking down people and asking them if they'll come on the show. Or uh, yeah. twist it, twisting their arm, I suspect, because uh, some of the <laughs> some of the people he's got to come on our podcast, it's like, really, how on earth did you manage that? <laughs> I mean, we've had people from Adobe, we've had uh, Paul Kafarsis, we've had uh, Skylum Software, we've we've had all sorts. So, uh, yeah, I'm ever grateful to John and his fabulous. Uh, I guess it's his long history of reviewing that means he's got contacts all over the industry, which is That's uh, cool. really really good. Um, as well, of course, as he does the hardware door for us. So um, tell, tell me a bit about some of these podcasts. Obviously, the Pocket Size podcast uh, with Scott. Um, obviously, we've had Scott on here previously. Um, that's nice. I always enjoy I always enjoy that. You, know, you keep that short and sharp, isn't it? Sort of 30 minutes, sometimes with a bit of an after show now. Yeah, and, uh... <laughs> the, their goal is to try and keep the, the main content of the, of the episode pretty close to 30 minutes. Yeah. Focused on, on iPhones and iOS and iPads, things like that. Yep. Things things of a pocket sized nature. Yes, strangely <laughs> enough. <laughs> things that go in your pocket, bizarrely. And um bubble sort, I I've only listened to a couple of those, but that that doesn't seem to have been going very long by the by the numbers. What you up to about uh, eight no, or something? John, John and Clay and I we started it last year, late summerish, I think, just a little after WWDC. Our actual goal with it was to go for a bi-weekly release schedule, and, and life kind of got in the way. We enjoyed doing it, and 
but it's, it's sometimes hard for the three of us to get together to get it done and stuff. But we, we did, we're up to about episode, I think the live episode right now that we just released the other day is episode eight. We just yeah, recorded sure, episode yeah. nine yesterday. We're actually going to try and get that thing back onto a, a regular schedule. We're pretty excited about it. Going to try and stick with it this time. Thanks. Thanks. We just talk about, you know, random things that are interesting us. Uh, the tagline to it is, you know, bubble sort and inefficient algorithm for floating things of interest to the top. <laughs> yeah. So basic, basically just what's going on with us and, and maybe we, we dabble into what's going on, like in the Apple ecosystem and stuff like that and, and the blogosphere and the tech community, that type thing. Yep. Yep. I've listened to, um, I think I've listened to seven and eight. Um, I might go back and listen to some more. I, I did enjoy listening to that. It was quite fun. Yeah. I, I must admit, I haven't listened to the uh, Pragmatic. Yeah. That, um, that's Pragmatic's a, a good podcast. That's really John's podcast more than anything. Um, he, he likes to, to take a look at, at technical things and things around us in our world and just really dive, dive deep into them and break them down. And, and I, I, I'm just kind of his co-host so that he's not sitting there monologuing for a couple of hours. And <laughs> yeah. Interject a little comic relief and just give him somebody to talk to and stuff. I, I enjoy listening to it and I enjoy helping him do it and stuff. It, it's a good show. It's it's worth checking out if you haven't checked it out before. Yeah, just I, look, I, look through the episode list and find a topic that interests you and just dive right in. Yeah, because there seem to be a lot. I haven't, um, I haven't listened to it yet, uh, mostly because I have way too many podcasts on yeah. my list and I just can't actually. If I tried to listen to all the podcasts I'm subscribed to, I would do nothing but listen to podcasts. Yeah, I hear <laughs> and, you there. And it doesn't really happen uh, help much when you get people like uh, you know uh, John Gruber decide that he's going to do a four hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, to, to to be honest, if we're going to call a spade a spade, bubble sort usually tends to run a little bit long too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean this this. Joe here we run I don't know we 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 tend to aim at an hour but uh we often overshoot we say. yeah it, it's easy to do <laughs> yep well it is yeah and it, if uh you know we don't um we don't set a target for this show to be honest we yeah. just uh we ramble on until either we've run out of things to say or we think everybody else is getting bored and then we call it call it a show that sounds like a good policy. Well, it seems it seems to work. Seems to work for us, I must admit. So, uh, what else do you do, Vic, other than podcast? Ah, uh, well, I have a, I have a daytime nine to five job that I don't really talk about too much on the internet. Um, I've been, actually been off of that for a little while though, because I, I had a bicycle crash uh, about a month and a half ago, and I broke my collarbone. Had to have surgery, and I've just been kind of recuperating with that. I also like to uh, I like to write ios apps and stuff in my spare time uh i'm a avid swift enthusiast i really like swift i'm working on an app right now called health up display which is kind of a health and fitness tracker i like to to try and describe the goal that i'm going for with it is if the stock activity app and health.app had a baby i kind of like to describe health up as 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 that baby okay. <laughs> Well, sounds that sounds good. Sounds a you know a, a noble goal, I would yeah. say. It, it's it's been a very slow burn because it you know it, it's it's a big project, big in scope, big in scale, big in code, uh, <laughs> and I'm just one guy, you know, working on it in my spare time. I've been trying to uh, to polish it up and get it ready for a 1.0 as much as I can with this downtime. 
It's not going along as quickly as I'd like, but I'm making slow and steady progress. I do have a public beta out if people want to try it, though. They can they can find it at healthupdisplay.com. They can sign up for the public beta if they want. Okay, and uh, we'll put that in the show notes, of course. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if you want to type that in the show notes, Vic, yeah. uh, you know, later, don't have to do it mm-hmm. Um, So that when the show goes out, people will have the... Oh, so, yeah. Um, well, it's been a bit of a funny week on the uh, on the Apple front, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, we've had uh, the grey key phone unlocker uh, thing, which mm-hmm. apparently inserts something, as far as we can figure out from what I've read now. Uh, originally, the impression given was that you plugged the phone into the grey key box and it churned away until it was unlocked. But That's, um, that's what, the way it sounded. Yeah, but what I've read since then is that the, you plug the uh, grey key into an iPhone and you leave it for about five minutes and then you unplug it and then it just churn the phone churns away until it displays the, the unlock key. So uh, so it must be loading something onto it. Yeah, it, it would appear that it's some sort of um, jailbreak and it's then, um, you know, Going it sounds like the... they've, they've, they're they they're kind of putting a stop to that, though, with the most recent iOS updates, though. Well, yeah, the uh, the Cult of Mac I picked this up from, but I, I think there are, it's been placed other ways. Um, Apple are, or have introduced a seven-day uh, uh, lightning port limit, so mm-hmm. that if your phone has not been turned on, used, or, you know, basically you haven't made use of it for a full week, the mm-hmm. lightning port is disabled, so that mm-hmm. all it can all it can do is accept charge. Uh, so that would at least cut down the window of opportunity for such a tool to be yeah. used to, um, well, a week from when the phone was last used. Um, hey, last unlocked or, or plugged into something or... Uh, it, uh, what did it say in the article? I think it's unlocked or plugged in to uh, an accessory, not charged. Charging doesn't count. Okay. Uh, I believe so if it's been left, you know. Uh, so so anyway, you've got to plug in something that's using that lightning port for something yeah, data, aside from you, just it, charging it, it, it yes, or you've got to unlock the phone. Yes. Okay. Um, what to say? This actually sounds like a good security feature. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, I'm sure the, the, the FBI here in the U.S. is really happy about that. What do you say? Uh, starting with iOS 11.3, iOS saves the last time a device has been unlocked with biometrics or passcode or was connected to an accessory or compute. If a full seven days elapse, since the last time iOS saved one of these events, the lightning port is saved, though, thus rendering the grey key useless. Um, Excellent. It's, it's always a tricky subject, I know, because people always you know, bring up the, what about the terrorists and what about the yeah. drug runners? And, but I, I don't really subscribe to that as a reason to break everybody's security. Yeah, my answer to that's usually, what about the rest of us? Because <laughs> yeah, there's a lot exactly. more of us than there the, are them. There's it, a lot it more of us. It kind of sucks when it backfires and they can't get into the terrorist phone, but there's so many more of us that deserve our rights to privacy than there are those yes. cases. Uh, that That's, you know, I, I'm with you there. there. There's 
so many more people who are, you know, deserve their right to privacy and are not doing anything wrong mm-hmm. than there are people who are using their phones for nefarious purposes. And yeah. uh, to be honest, I, if you're a person of interest mm-hmm. to uh, a three-letter agency, uh, I'm pretty sure said three-letter agency can bug your phones and put microphones in your house and do all sorts of other things to find out who you are and what you're doing. So Yeah. Well, and I, I would even add further to that. If, if you're a person of interest to these three-letter agencies, chances are anything you're doing on that phone, you're probably doing in in an app that, that already has its own local encryption. <laughs> and yeah. chances are just unlocking the phone itself isn't going to be enough. Well, exactly. Anyway. Exactly. And, you know, I have nothing to hide. You'll find out where they went grocery shopping and maybe what was on their, their to-do list for the day at Walmart or the oh, local look, grocery look, yeah, store. This guy, oh, my God, this bloke likes cherry cola. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not going to find the, the pipe bomb grocery list, I don't think. No, I, I don't think so. I, um, you know, I have nothing to hide, but I still, you know, I use uh, Proton Mail, which is an encrypted mail service. I mm-hmm. Uh, I use wire and I messaging mostly for messaging, mm-hmm. uh, both of which, of course, are encrypted. Uh, yeah. I use a VPN. I like, I like Telegram a lot, too. It's a, it's encrypted as well. Uh, yes. And that, we've got a story about that. Actually, shall we jump to that one? If you'd like to, sure. Yeah, well, let's, let's jump to that because um, in the security thing, uh, the pop- popular messaging app Telegram, which is indeed uh, allegedly end-to-end encrypted, um, in comparisons against uh, other similar apps, it sometimes comes up not scoring as well as uh, Whisper Systems Signal and yeah. a couple of others. Well, um, people don't like that the developers were from Russia, I think. Yes. Now, there was some of it is that um, not all of their code was reviewable or um, and such like, but a large part seemed to be mostly that the developer is based in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, this one also was from Cult of Mac, but I believe, again, I've read it several other places. Uh, it prob- probably picked up the Cult of Mac one because they tweet out everything that they um, everything that they post. Uh, yeah. The app Telegram has been banned uh, in Russia by the Russian government uh, because, apparently, the developers of Telegram have refused to hand over the encryption keys to the Kremlin. Um <laughs> So that's that's quite an interesting development. Uh, Telegram themselves have said that that's not really had any effect on them. I'm not sure how you know how that's going to hold up long term. Yeah. Um, but apparently, Telegram was popular amongst Russian journalists and even um, party members for, for uh, <laughs> doing their messaging. Um, uh, yes, so they were not prepared to hand over their encryption keys, and so they've been basically banned. Uh, hmm. And I can assume that they were possibly uh, popular in Russia, you know, with Russians, for exactly yeah. the reason they're not popular, uh, perhaps so much in the West, because they were Russians. Yeah, could and, be. And uh, the same reason, I suspect, if you if you are a Russian person with, uh, you know, tinfoil hat tendencies, you might not be too keen on um, putting your encrypted messages through a, a program that's uh, run by a US company. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know what's going to happen about that. Uh, I, I guess Telegram is a you know available worldwide, so maybe they yeah. 
they can get by. But, um, I mean, if they're based in Russia and the Russian government has got it in for them, they could find themselves in a bit of a sticky situation, I think. I'm not uh, sure that's, that's going to pan possible. out. That's quite possible. Um, That'll be kind of a shame. I actually like Telegram. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I... It is. It's, it's currently, like... For plain regular one-on-one messages with most people, I still like to use iMessage. But with with group threads and stuff like that, Telegram's pretty much my go-to most of the time. It's not plagued with a lot of the problems iMessage has with creating duplicate multiple threads and things like that. It has a tendency to just fulfill Apple's promise of just working. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I, I haven't I, I haven't used it much. I used it uh, a little bit yeah. when, when I think when it first came out. Um, and then some questions were raised about it. Um, but my I think my, probably my main reason for not using it was uh, less to do with Telegram itself and more to do with the fact that I couldn't find many people who want to, you know, were prepared to shift to it. Uh, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's the sticking point with all of these kind of apps. You got to yeah. kind of go with the one that all the people you know use. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I have a WhatsApp account and I, I don't use WhatsApp uh, as such, but um, that seems to be very, very popular with a lot of people. Uh, certainly after it became encrypted, I know originally it was, I wouldn't have anything to do with it because it belonged to Facebook and it wasn't encrypted. Yeah. I tend to have nothing to do with anything to do with Facebook. I don't have an Instagram, but that's more to do with the fact that I don't yeah. take any pictures because <laughs> I'm the world's worst photographer. Not yeah. in that my pictures are bad when I take them. It's just that I never think to take any, ever. Yeah. I once Not went on... I once went... with Facebook's a popular, popular sentiment right now, too. <laughs> I, um... I once went on holiday with three digital cameras and came back with eight photographs. Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, whilst the guy, um, the guy I went on holiday with, uh, well, I went with my wife and a friend of ours and his wife. But uh-huh. uh, my my friend Paul uh, took one digital camera with him. Oh, this is quite some time ago when camera, you know, sort of when three megapixels was a big size pocket camera. But I, I think he took home about eight gig of photographs. That's <laughs> a lot of pictures. Yeah, well, he he, he kind of um, to some extent he he adopted the policy of not even actually taking photographs per se, just holding up the camera and clicking away at all sorts of things uh, yeah. on the grounds that, well, now I'm not constrained by film and I can just shoot sort of until the card is filled up. It doesn't really matter. And I can throw all the rubbish ones away later. Yeah. Well, um, there, there's definitely some merit to that idea, you know, just just shoot everything and you can always clean out the garbage and keep the few good ones later. Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of uh, you know, the equivalent of using a motor drive, really. It was just, just snap away like mad but uh no so uh yeah so there was some apple stories but not a lot of them with a lot of meat really i mean after the uh the gray phone unlocker well that means it will still work apparently uh, going back to that this the speed at which it can uh break a four and six digit uh code is apparently faster than first reported uh originally they reported that it would it could break a four digit in about one to two days and a six digit in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. um but subsequently it's been reported that actually it can do four digits in an average of about two to three hours uh maybe 12 hours at the outside um and a six digit in days uh you know not not weeks but uh, in that scheme of things that's relatively quick 
It is, it is. Um, but of course, the advice from all and sundry on that is you shouldn't really rely on a four or six digit passcode anyway. You yeah. Should, you should, uh, you know, especially if since, and we've said this before and lots of other people have said it, since the introduction of Touch ID, mm-hmm. you know, there's no reason not to have a good 10, 12 character alphanumeric uh, code because you, you don't have to, uh, you know, in, in the early phones when, you know, every time you picked it up, you had to put PIN in. Uh-huh. Um, it made sense to have a reasonably simple code because that was a kind of combination, a trade-off between how many times a day do you want to have to type in your, your yeah. code versus how safe do you want your phone to be. Um, uh-huh. But yes, I mean, I've said it on here before, you know, I have a sort of 12-character uh, alphanumeric um, and they're saying that would take way longer to break than, especially yeah. now if Apple have introduced this one-week time limit. Uh-huh. Um, then it's possible that uh, I don't know, of course, if the if the grey key using the lightning port would be considered as data usage. But I, I suspect it's all to do with the unlocking. If you haven't unlocked yeah. it, it's going to shut you out. Um, we've got uh, there's been some comment. Uh, this was on Insights Dice, but I think it's been mentioned elsewhere. Uh, like most of the stories we do, uh, the switch to 64-bit apps leaves Mac OS developers in a tough spot. Um, and this is of course because Starting with 10, 11, 14, is that where, we, where we'll be at now? Uh, something like that, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all getting a bit... <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all getting a, or 10 14 10 14 i don't know it's all getting a bit i think uh i i really think it's time that uh apple sort of rethought their numbering don't you, mm, you know, i think we all know sort of os 10 is it os 10 well well no mac technically now it's mac os <laughs> yeah that is true they've sort of but it, they've has still... been, it has been os 10 for quite quite some time well i mean we're now on what 10 14 which is like and let's face it they're not really point updates are they every year people think of them as a new os so yeah uh, you know i think they i guess internally they have to have numbers perhaps they should sort of retire that for consumer usage and give us names but um starting with the next release apparently um how have they described it i think apple described it as high sierra is the last version of the mac os which will run 32 bits apps without compromise uh, whatever that actually means that, that that's some funny wording there without yes. compromise um they're not saying if, it, not if it's saying... like ios was that compromise was oh well all these apps just stopped working yeah well i think apple have said uh, it's not in this it's not in this um not in this piece, but I'm pretty sure that they said somewhere that uh, 10.14 will probably st- or will still run 32-bit apps, but not without wheeling. I mean, mm-hmm. you already you, you already get. I'm on the betas, and I already get um, a warning dialogue when you open an older app that's 32-bit. Yeah, you get a thing saying warning: this app needs updating by its developer, and it might uh, otherwise it might make your Mac run slow and or you know misbehave. I don't. Yeah, well, I'm on the current GM release, and it's already it's got warnings that that app's going to need updating too if you open an older 32-bit app. 
Yeah, exactly. So, um, interestingly, you, there, there's a, a a way you can view all the 32-bit apps on your system, and and a lot of stock Apple apps that come with the OS are still 32-bit. Well, yeah, when they when they first introduced when when they first said about this, I mean, first they did it on iOS, mm-hmm. um, and at the time when they announced they were going to do it on iOS, um, I was surprised when I checked, you know, the apps on my phone that were still 32-bit, um, yeah. and obviously there were some apps and doodads that were you know, just toys and things that are on my phone that probably hadn't been opened in years and and that was like oh um i think my marble maze was like 32 bit and that's bad luck that's gonna die um but at the time most of the microsoft office app were also still 32 bit uh they're they're in the 32 bit list on the mac right now yeah <laughs> when i looked at it the other day they were in that list yeah and the same on the on the mac now and I, it's sort of somewhere between surprising and not surprising, bizarrely, because they know it's coming. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would think, well, surely a big company like Microsoft would go 64-bit as soon as they can. So it, well, it's, the, the sticking point there is that they they can easily go 64-bit. Like, we, we should start off by saying this isn't a problem at all for apps that are still actively in development. No, it's not. They keep their minimum software version pretty close to the, the current software version because all they got to do is basically recompile it and maybe, in some cases, fix a few bugs in their code, and then it's 64-bit, and it's good to go. The problem is, like, some of these applications, and I would definitely assume Microsoft Office is in that camp. They want to they want to support a nice wide range of operating systems and hardware versions. So they've probably still got that 32-bit support in there so they can they can stretch that way far back in what they can support. That that is exactly what I was going to say. That I, I suspect that they're going to keep it 32-bit as long as they can. Yeah. Um in order to support older machines, older hardware, older versions of the OS. Yeah. And when they have to make the choice between supporting the current or supporting the old, then they'll probably give in and do it. Yes. And my other thought was, if you're going to have to recompile the whole thing, mm-hmm. surely what you would do is wait until when you're, you know, your next development version. So whatever the next version of Office is now, it's Office 365. And I know they don't release, release the updates in the same way. But, mm-hmm. that, you know, when you're going to talk about doing a major revision, you roll out 64-bit version. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so, yes, you're right. Uh, anything that's like you say, like a lot of the Apple bits are still 32, uh, yeah. 32 bit. Why? Why is that? For the same reason, I'm sure that Apple say, I, well, either why... that or just just convenience and laziness. You know, they just haven't gotten around to it yet. And They've of course, yeah, of course, when you're talking about stuff and th- things that are you know big applications that have been around for a long time, like yeah. you know Word, there's a lot of code, and some of it probably goes back a long, long way. Yeah, and some of it is probably really quite old. I mean, I'm if I was a you know if I was an app developer and you have a perfectly good word counting routine, it doesn't matter if nobody's recoded it in the last 12 years, as long as yeah. you can count the words in the document, that's all you care about. Why would you bother re, you know, rewriting it in 64-bit unless you have to? It just yeah. it doesn't make any sense, does it? So, well, oftentimes they don't really have to rewrite the code. They just have no. to, it, it, it's just their compiler settings when they, when they compile it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's a click of a button, but it can introduce some bugs. And then, like I said, you know, their 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 bigger concern, I'm sure, is cutting off a lot of those old legacy users. 
Yeah, exactly. My, my, um, yeah, I didn't literally mean that they'd have to rewrite it, but you know what I mean? <laughs> why, you know, if you're working on an app like Word, why would yeah. you bother poking about in subroutines that work perfectly yeah. well? Thank you very much. There's just no point constantly reinventing the wheel or rebuilding yes. the word, the word count routine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's a few things in the code you might have to tweak, like specifically the, the, one of the biggest examples that people remember when we had the 64 bit transition in iOS, depending on the uh, the data type that you're using to store integers and stuff like that, all of a sudden you might be in a little bit of trouble if you chose one that, that didn't translate directly to 64-bit well. So you might have to update that. You know, A lot of people had to change int value types to uh, int 64, things like that. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm not surprised. I think Apple have been, you know, they haven't been overly aggressive, have they? I mean, let's face it, Macs have been 64-bit for quite a long time. Yeah. No, and, I, I definitely wouldn't say they've been overly aggressive at all. No, no. There are times when Apple sometimes have gone, right, well, we're doing this and you're all going to have to suck it up. But in this thing, I think it's it's been several years since they released uh, a 32-bit or a non-64-bit clean machine or OS. So I, I think it's quite reasonable now to be saying, right, we're going we're gonna to shut the door on that. And as mm-hmm. I say, they, they haven't actually said, I read somewhere, and I think this might come from Craig, that they will not actually stop 32-bit app from working until probably uh, 10, 15, or maybe even 10, 16. Yeah. I, I think what they're kind of saying is, eventually we will shut it off because we won't mm-hmm. bother to put the routines in. And uh, we're going to stop worrying about, if, if, if something's 32-bit and it breaks, don't come crying to us that's it we've we're done with worrying about it if it continues to work fine and if it breaks well you've been warned really Uh, i think that's (laughs) that's (laughs) that's the sort of the the long and the short of that one yeah um on the user side of things we don't have too much to worry about unless you're you're using an application that that somebody's abandoned and then you're kind of out of luck because chances are they may not go back and update it Yes, that is, that is, um, I mean, I, I forget, I did have a look at my applications and there's one or two in there which I, I don't use very much. Um, I, I've got a tool called uh, Tinker Tool, which is, um, allows you to tweak a few settings in the OS that are, or were at least some, you know, several versions of the OS back were, were hidden. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of hidden options. Um, and some of them I think Apple have now made user facing but it allows you to do things like uh, turn uh, whether or not uh, whether or not you can see invisible apps uh, you can add a quit menu a quit menu item for the finder which mm-hmm. is actually uh, probably not as useful now as it used to be but uh, some years ago I used to have the problem with finder where the finder would stop working properly um, and the ability to just do quit the finder and let yeah. it restart was, was mm-hmm. quite handy so I mean that's 32 bit but it's, it's still actively developed so it, it's quite possible um it's quite possible that, that you know as soon as that happens he'll he'll recompile it because he obviously he issues a, a new version for every release of the os um there we go and i've got a few other bits pieces mostly things that i hardly ever use but when you do want to use them are um, pretty much indispensable mm-hmm. so uh one of them's a barcode writer i have a barcode writing still 32 bit but again i believe that's still actively developed so the worst comes to the worst i might have to shell out a new, a new update yeah a new version update quite like um oh, what else uh the apple have had a problem with some of the 13 inch macbook 
Pro non-touch bar uh, laptop batteries, apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen this one, Vic? Uh, I saw the link that you put in the show notes. I I browsed through it. Um, It's like a replacement program. I don't yeah. know much about what's 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 prompted it. Do we have swelling up back? Books? Yes, basically we it's a it's uh there's a small batch apparently according to Apple. Um the link isn't it always? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've I've got a uh, the link I've got here is directly from Apple. Um I think I saw a story somewhere where you know typical clickbait. Apple's terrible week ends with, you know, MacBook Pro battery misery sort of thing <laughs> and it was like so follow the link, and it says Apple have determined that a limited number of 13-inch MacBook Pro non-touch bar unit, a component may fail, causing the built-in battery to expand. This is not a safety issue, and Apple will replace eligible batteries free of charge. The affected units were manufactured between October 2016 and October 2017, and eligibility is determined by the product serial number. And then they've got you know, type your serial number in here and it will tell you whether or not your your shiny fairly new macbook pro non-touch bar is uh, affected and mm-hmm. if it is contact apple and they will organize to uh, probably take away your laptop and replace the battery for you um many years ago i had a, a laptop which was um subject to one of these sort of post well this one's obviously not post warranty but um i had a laptop where something i can't remember what it was now but there was a an issue with some models mm-hmm. due due to some component prone to failing and they uh they had one of these and i just put my number in thinking oh well i've got one of those laptops and i put it in but i think it was the white macbook and uh yeah it said you're you're eligible you know fill in the form and uh before i knew it you know uh, the man from ups was on the doorstep waiting to take the box away and three days later they sent it back you know with whatever component it was replaced uh and good as new good as new indeed uh painless and sorted so there you go if you have a 13 inch macbook pro non-touch bar that you bought between uh october 16 and october 17 uh go to the apple support site put in your uh serial number and find out if you're affected and if you are get apple to replace your battery for you simple as that so hardly what i'd really describe as you know battery misery brings apple low because <laughs> <laughs> these people they love to pile it on I, they make me yeah. laugh some of them they really do um you, you gotta love some good clickbait oh yeah yeah you do you do see it don't you mark if mark was uh here at the minute he'd be frothing at that because he, he he gets very <laughs> he he gets really incensed about some of the clickbait, especially the ones that then take him to a site where before you even get to read their stupid article, there's a, you know, one of a whole load of these listicles, like yeah. si- 16, 16 uh, celebrities, you won't believe what they look like now, just click here and all that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're really, yes, they, they wind him up something chronic. You know, breathe, breathe, Mark, breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Euro patent from Apple reviews a t- well it says here review reveals a tubular glass iPhone uh, from patently Apple um is it is it totally tubular uh well <laughs> it, n- no it's not really what they're actually describing uh, patently Apple obviously is a site that keeps their eye on patents that Apple file 
Um, yeah. And they have the wording here, which is very long and in typical patent language. You know, uh, the electronic device may have internal components such as batteries, printed circuit boards, rigid or flexible integrated circuits or other components. And these internal components may be mounted on the display using adhesive and it goes on like for about four pages like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the actual point of patent is that they are talking about making a completely glass body mm-hmm. for an iPhone. Um, from the best summary here is, Apple has been working on an all-glass iPhone for up close to seven years now, with the first patent coming to light in 2011. Um, and then they talk about, uh, we've covered a uh, patent for a glass-encased iMac or Apple TV. Uh, there was a patent pending for an all-glass iPhone with an illuminated middle segment. segment. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so this one relates to uh, electronic devices having structural glass support. And basically what they're talking about, as far as I can see, is making the body completely out of glass mm-hmm. uh, in two parts, by the look of it, a, a top and a bottom section, curved very much as the, um, you know, the milled aluminium of the... Mm-hmm. Of say the five was so that you've got this obviously molded I would say and then probably machined glass body into which all the other parts are mounted glued mm-hmm. screwed and otherwise affixed and then the two halves are put together so that what you end up with by tubular they mean yes a hollow a hollow tube but it's not mm-hmm. a, it's not a tube tube it's a squashed rectangle as you might expect um it, what they're really saying as far as I can see is they're working on an apple which they uh, you know, a, a material which I guess could be cast like glass and then machined like aluminium, and then you would have the whole body would be made out of two pieces of glass. Um, but it's a patent. I mean, Apple patent all sorts of things. Like, yeah, a like, lot of those patents never come to exist either. No, I I suspect this this looks to me. I'm not saying it would never happen because I you know I do think Johnny is fascinated by materials and. Um, if you got you no, know, I know lots of people would go. Well, it's all glass. Think you know. Think of the children. It's a disaster waiting to happen. But <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not. Re- I mean, really. Let's face it. You know, we've had glass front and back uh, phones in the four series. The the eight is now basically front glass front and back. Um, yeah. The ten is glass all across the front. I mean, my I seven. I think this probably would. If this thing came to fruition, though, I think that it probably would substantially increase the the number of broken iPhones. Yeah, um, I mean, what they you know, now we've got the the aluminum sides and steel and some of the older model sides that that absorb a lot of the impact. You know, if it lands on the corner or something. If that's all glass, it's, it's probably going to be more prone to breaking. Yes, but yes. I mean, what they people will just take that, and I will say that that's going to be a sharp looking phone if if it ever happened. I think it would be kind of interesting to look at, and I think it would be pretty cool. But people will just take it and they'll throw it in an otter box anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I did chore through quite a lot of this, and I mean, they are talking about you know the inside of the glass then having possibly metal you know uh, structures to. For the So really, it's almost like take your iPhone, take the back off it and then wrap the whole thing like a um, in a glass piece, uh, like a pig in a blanket, really. (laughs) You know, it's very much the idea. So do you think 
Do you think Johnny would leave that back glass transparent so you could see the internals, or do you think they'd paint uh, it? Well, again, it, it, there is mention in the patent about how it might also include uh, the ability to have liners or other in, in t- internal finishes which might or might not, you know, opaque the... Uh, yeah. But yeah, you, you could have all sorts of things. Truth is, uh, I'm not sure the inside of an iPhone is actually all that attractive to look at. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you could have it clear or not clear. Um, people keep talking about this thing about clear, you know, clear glass slab as mm-hmm. as like the Tony Stark type phone. But actually, I I think yeah, that might look cool on a film, but in real life, how difficult would that be to actually use? <laughs> well, you you can see your battery, so you know when it starts swelling. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that is true. So there we go. That's a, a sort of a patent the Apple and their thing of constantly reporting what patents Apple was shipped um, or, or filed. Uh, quite interesting, I suppose. Not, to me, actually, not stunningly surprising. Um, if you think about the iPhone 10, if you imagine kind of repeating the, the front treatment on the back, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of what you're talking about, I think, very much. So, yes. But like you say, without any any metal around the outside, I think that would probably result in a lot of crack bones. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean that that wouldn't stop them from doing it at all. You know, if that's what they decide is pretty and that's oh, no. what they want to go with next, they, they, they wouldn't have any reservations about it. But oh, no. Apple, Apple do not seem to worry. You know, this might not be the toughest iPhone ever made. No, that doesn't seem to bother them any which way, does it? No. In the current regime, they may look at it as a feature to help them sell more Apple Care Plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, then again, just because it says glass, you know, if we're thinking it doesn't have to be sort of, um, you know, screen glass, does it? Yeah. Well, and they could always, you know, around the sides and the corners and stuff. That could be a pretty thick piece of glass, too. Yeah. And, you know, or it could be one of these sort of ceramic glass type materials, you know, like the case of the ceramic watch. Do you think they could make it shiny and, and, and finished like the toilet bowl? Well, I would have thought so. That'd be a nice shine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, if you're, if you, you know, you could make it vitreous, couldn't you? Very, very <laughs> shiny. Very shiny indeed. And probably not so, uh, prone to, was it, uh, micro abrasions. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if, if you think ceramics, you, you, some of those are, you know, if well, that's, used... that's technically glass, isn't it? Ceramic. Well, yeah, type. Well, yeah, well, glass is a type of ceramic, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably more accurate to say it that way. Yeah, but you can make ceramic tiles to put on the shuttle to withstand uh, re-entry. I'm sure you could make a some kind of ceramic body that would be pretty tough. Anyway, there we go. So that was that one. Um, and then last of all, Vic, before we perhaps uh, take a break and uh, let John do his hardware store, uh, mm-hmm. Jean-Louis Gasset, ex of Apple, of course, uh, and a guy who writes a piece called The Monday Note at mondaynote.com. I don't know if you ever read any of his pieces. Uh, on occasion, I have read these two particular pieces. Yeah. He's, um, he, was, he wrote a piece 
called the ARM Mac piece of cake or gas refinery. Um, I don't know if that's a, some sort of French um, saying, um, badly mangled into English, but uh, a bad euphemism or something. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I get what you're saying. You know, a yeah. piece of cake or a dog's dinner. Um, that was quite an interesting read, I thought, because um, lots of people, um, you know, this this the whole uh, Apple going to ARM and uh, Mac and iOS uh, merging. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a thing that's been floating around for everything. And some people really seem to think that it's coming. Uh, you know, Uncle Tim keeps telling us it's not where they're going. Um, but a lot of people poo-pooed this idea of, uh, you know, Apple, even if they're not going to merge the OSs, uh, making um, ARM-powered Macintoshes. Yeah. But uh, Jean-Louis uh, is rather less negative. Um, in this piece, he, you know, pretty much suggesting that he thinks that it's uh, more likely than not in the long mm-hmm. run. Uh, you know, well, it, I think that they'd probably definitely like to one day get away from having that external dependency on Intel for their processors. Yeah. Uh, that, and, that, and they're all about controlling the full stack. So if they had a way that they could bring it all in high, in-house, you know, design-wise and, and stuff, they, they'd probably really favor that idea. Yes. I, I That is my... <sighs> My only reservation against that, and that's what I said to um, Mark uh, last show, was that it would mean Apple going effectively proprietary again and moving away from what everybody else does. But then Apple being Apple, I'm not sure that they would uh, care that much, to be honest. Yeah. Um, they've, you know, they've done it before, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they could do it again. The, the, my biggest, uh, what did I say? Well, I guess my biggest fear would be the, the loss of the ability to um, virtualize other OSs as mm-hmm. easily as we can now. But again... Yeah, that, that would definitely be an impact, at least initially anyway. Yeah. Because um, somebody came up with some clever software to, to, to do that. Yeah, so the, the takeaway I got from that is Jean-Louis seemed less convinced by the talk of merging the OSs. I think he he kind of implied that over time they're going to get closer and closer together. Yeah. But I think he still subscribes to, um, you know, the Apple philosophy that a tablet is a tablet and a laptop mm-hmm. is a laptop. And yeah. Um, jamming them together ends up with something that's not the best of best of either. Yeah, I don't think that it would be at all about just let's have one OS everywhere. I think it's it, it's more if they do this, it's just more about controlling their hardware stack. I I think and, so, yeah. And that integration, I think that they definitely feel you know you got to use the right tool for the right job. I am excited about the the prospect, and he touched on it briefly, you know, about the the Mars Japan thing that's rumored to be announced this summer. I am interested in that because while I definitely wouldn't want to see the, the, the two OSs merge, anything that, that makes it possible to share a lot more of your code base between the two platforms so you could have a more universal app, I think, would be a good thing. Yes, yes. That, that's what I was going to come on to. The, the Marzipan idea, uh, allowing more, you know, more, what they're talking about there is, is using a more universal kernel. I mean, we know iOS is, you know, runs on the Mac kernel. So deep down, it's, you know, the same guts. Yeah. But it has a whole different, you know, layer of um, components above it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the touch, the touch kit, and, and and all that. 
Um, but if you, as the ARM processors become so much more powerful, that is the that is the thing that's making yeah. the difference. I mean, he's, he he put a chart in here showing uh, the performance mm-hmm. of some various uh, items. We've got the MacBook Pro. Yeah. Um, well, the current iPhone lines, you know, they they could eat some of the the current Mac lines that they're selling for lunch. Well, the the iPhone eight. Mm-hmm. According to this, and I know it's benchmarking, and that's not everything. But for single core, the iPhone eight matches a MacBook Pro, mm-hmm. and on multi core is actually faster. And as yeah. pretty much everything is multi core. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, the iPhone ten uh, benchmarks slightly worse than bo- than the iPhone eight in both. Not by much. Yeah. But just a little. It's just uh. Well, the iPhone ten, it's the same chipset inside, but I think it's doing a little bit more. Yeah, because it, you've, there's you've, a little more tags on it. Yeah, I suspect probably true. Um, as he says here, this is a tilted comparison because the iPhone A11 chip is optimized for mobile and battery mm-hmm. conscious use, um, and a MacBook Pro X86 CPU is optimized for speed at the expense of power. Yeah. Imagine, however, if you took an Apple chip designed with a different focus, mm-hmm. with speed rather than battery conservation. If the 2017 A11 processor already matches the x86 cpu of a macbook pro then a 2020 no holds barred line of uh, no 86 it's very funny very funny (laughs) yeah uh would easily power a high-end mac um and i'm thinking my thinking there is if you can screw enough power out of your arm chip Mm -hmm. um or chips then maybe it doesn't really matter that you've you've broken away from x86 because at the minute the Mac runs on x86 and you can virtualize other OSs. Yeah. But if you can get enough power out of your uh, chips, you can emulate mm-hmm. a, a, another, you know, and which is what we did, what we used to do before, uh, you know, when the Mac was on PowerPC, there, there were still, you know, there were programs like uh, Virtual PC, mm-hmm. which allowed you to run Windows in a Virtual PC. Sure, you know, it was nowhere near as efficient as, as virtualizing is now. But if you've got a powerful enough chip, will the average user see the difference between between an emulated OS and a virtualized, and I, I don't think they will. I, I don't think they would either, especially when you consider a lot of them are probably just still going to be running Office and things like that on it. Well, yeah. I mean, at work, I, I have a, a Windows 10 VM, which I run on my Mac, and mm-hmm. I have it there for, yeah, um, basically handling uh, mostly Office, but there are a few other applications that are not available uh, on Mac, and that in my field, we, we get things in. So uh, we get things in Serif Page Plus, which is a, a Windows only. There's Microsoft Publisher, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't need my Windows VM. I'm not trying to play the latest killer game on it. Um, I just need it to run some basic software. And mostly what I need to do is open open an application, uh, export, maybe make some edits, and then export the PDF. And then I take the PDF on the Mac and do yeah. what I need to do. So, yeah, I just, I, I could see it happening. I For a while, I was, I can't see this happen. But the more I look at it, and when you get people like Jean-Louis Gasset, who does know what he's talking about, this man is not, uh, when, yeah. he's, when he's saying, you know, I've looked at this, um, and you know, he seems to be of the opinion that it's going to happen. So, yeah. 
Who knows? What was more interesting to me was the the second piece. You know, when he was talking about people are are real concerned about what this means for the Mac and and being afraid that it becomes an iPad. Well, he he seemed to imply that he he'd be more concerned about the implications that it would have for the iPad than it would for the Mac. Yes. Well, yes, because then there's the second part, which I was just going to say. The second part is called uh, ARM Mac Part De Less Confusion, where yeah. um, when one considers the prospect of the Mac running on Apple's own processors, a question immediately arises, will Apple merge the Mac and the iPad into a single software product? Um, and as he say, uh, says here, Apple gives us two distinct personal computer generations uh, separated by a quarter of a century, the 1984 Mac and the 2010 iPad iPad, which runs its own software and a different mic. Speculation has it that come 2020, the two genres of personal computers will use the same processor and as a result be theoretically capable of running each other's software. Uh, this can confuse us when we think about generations' futures, and this is mud on the crystal ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as he, yes, this was quite another, int- I mean, these pieces are often very interesting. Uh, we can gain clarity re-watching Steve Jobs' metaphor for the transition of the original PC truck to today's cab tablets cars. Um, the transition will be uncomfortable for many users, especially for people like you and me. That's a quote from Steve Jobs. Uh, in other words, long-time users of traditional PCs. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, like real-world trucks, the PCs will be around for a long, long time for a small but stable number of users. Um, and then, as he said, Jobs's own view of the balance between the cars and trucks wasn't settled. Is the iPad the future? Who knows? Um, I Yes, he basically, what's, what's his summary? Was the best. Uh, summing up, we foresee a Mac evolution that has no unknowns and an iPad line which will divide itself into a simple iteration of the original model and possibly a more laptop-like subgenre. Yeah. So what he's really saying is he thinks that there, there, I, there'll be iPads like current iPad, um, mm-hmm. uh, an iPad Pro, which may become a bit more like the, the Microsoft Surface slash cut-down laptop, and then the mm-hmm. Mac OS. Uh, and, and this is something I've, I've said before, Vic, and I think you're probably with me, that the fact that iOS would probably replace the PC on an awful lot of office workers' desks doesn't remove the need yeah. for a full-blown heavyweight you know, computer environment yeah. for a certain set of users. Yeah, you've and, still got to have the right tool for the right job, and there's always going to be some users that still just need that traditional PC. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, people like me, you mm-hmm. know, I, I work in graphic design for print. I, I, you know, I need, or it, it's very useful for me to have two large screens and be able to run Photoshop and InDesign and Illustrator and various other tools all at once and yeah. drag things from here to there and, and all the rest. And there are other people, people who do CAD, people who do video work whatever those sort software of developers software developers you know possibly you know no doubt uh vocations i can't even imagine that require it yeah but i think where a lot of people get that bit wrong i think is the is they equate office and email and and those kind of tasks with a traditional pc but that's not really the case is it the only real reason that most people want a traditional pc to do those things on is because let's face it who would want to spend eight hours a day trying to work on even a 12 inch ipad yeah 
you know, if you're going to be sat at a desk and you have to do these, you know, clerical type job, mm-hmm. you, yes, you probably do want a decent screen and a decent you keyboard. Need a, yeah. You need um, a nice, comfortable setup. You need to, to be able to just stay plugged in and draw all the power you need. Yeah. But that's not to say that you couldn't develop an iOS type OS that supports that. Yeah. And that would not be... A, it would sort of be a traditional PC, I suppose. It would be an iOS or similar-powered PC. But no, it, I, I do believe that the full-blown computer OS that most of us have grown up with is, is far from doomed, but yeah. it's definitely going to shrink into more specialist uses. Mm-hmm. Um, Got disagreed with me, uh, particularly with regards to Windows, saying businesses are slow to change. But although I agree with him there, nothing lasts forever. And yeah. the whole world of work has changed twice over in my working lifetime. Uh, first with the introduction of PCs and Mac and, you know, the, the goal of a, a PC on every desk. And once that was achieved, it all got re, re-revolutionized with the birth of the internet. Yeah. So in, you know, in the course of 30 years, 35 years, that's two complete revolutions. So I could see over the next 50 years, particularly as, you know, people like me come to the end of their working life and start to retire and are replaced by people who, who aren't so wedded to the idea that a traditional PC is what you have to have. I could see that changing all over again. Yeah. But that said, the, you know, I do believe that the traditional PC will stay around for a, a very, very long time. It's just it will become more and more special. And, you know, the Windows and the Mac OS and, and the uh, Linuxes of this world will become uh, relegated to specialist use. Yeah. That, that's my view. Well, I'm going to cling to my truck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, you know, and that, I guess that's what you're pointing out. I like my iPad, and I, I love to, you know, what, at the end of the day, when I just want to sit back and read or whatever, I love my iPad for that. But when I'm trying to get stuff done, I, nothing's going to replace the Mac for me for a long time. No, but, you know, it, again, it depends what it is you want to do, don't you? you know, I, it's the old 90% thing, you know. 90% of people over the years who had a PC had a PC Y. You know, initially a lot of them had them to play games and write letters. So, you know, people were buying, I don't know, Windows 95, Windows 98, mm-hmm. Mac OS 8, whatever, machines who basically uses glorified type time. And then when the internet came along, because that was how you got online. And as you got to a sort of a PC in every home, why did people have a PC in every home? What did they want to do with it? They wanted to do email and surf the web. And you know, a lot of consumer users never do anything that really requires a full-blown yeah. quote-unquote pure. A lot of it's just because it's what they're used to or because they just plain and simply want it. Oh, yeah. And that's the same thing. That will be as well. There will be the people of who will continue to have full-blown computers, as it were. And not that the iPad is not a computer. Don't get me wrong here. I'm talking about traditional, quote-unquote, yeah. PC-type yeah. uh, you got to be careful there. Somebody will come at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, you know, there will be people, probably like me and you, who will cling to these devices, whether we're actually using them or need to have in the same way as there are people who like to have enormously fast sports cars or monster trucks or, you know, hot rods mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It, it, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
having it just because you want to is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. But, um, I, I mean, I must admit, I don't have an iPad. I've never found a use for an iPad. I go from, if I can't do it on my phone, then I feel like I, I want to be doing it on my laptop. Um, but, you know, ever since I've had an iPhone, yeah, the amount of time that I spend on my, on my Mac has definitely reduced because... Oh, yeah. I can sit, you know, I can sit in my bed on a on a Sunday morning and I can read the news and read Twitter and, and browse the internet from my phone. Yeah. Perfectly well. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, we've been banging on for a while, so I think we should take a break, Vic, and get a fresh cup of coffee or whatever it is you want to do. And uh, we'll hand over to John and he will do the Nemo's hardware store. Take it away, John. Nemo's Hardware Store is back, and the JBL company, that's JBL.com, is thinking really different with a new speaker, a wearable speaker, called the JBL Sound Gear, all one word, S-O-U-N-D-G-E-A-R. Cost is $200 in the U.S., and Simon and Mark will do their best to get international pricing and links on our website for this show at EssentialApple.com. It's a wearable speaker, what we call in the U.S. a horseshoe shape, with a nice soft curve that goes around the back of my neck, and it drapes down over my collarbone. Looks like a mini version of one of those pillows that people wear on the airplane to help them sleep, but it's firm. It's not soft. comes in black or gray. It's got a very loud, crisp sound. It's an immersive experience. The sound feels like it's coming from inside your skull, actually from the inside out. You can use it for phone calls. You can wear it when you're washing the dishes or even when you're using an electric toothbrush. You can wear it when you're taking a walk. Just don't play it too loud because you're going to annoy your other walkers. Same thing when you're cycling, but it's very good. It's comfortable. It has some weight, but not too much. You can use it for a sing-along. I'm going to use it when I'm practicing my guitar later on. Excellent for language lessons. There are a thousand and one uses for the JBL sound gear. Controls on the right side and the left side, louder, softer, play, pause, Bluetooth, all the irregular controls are very easy to reach and only takes a few seconds to learn how to use them with your right or your left thumb. You feel the vibrations in your collarbone and your neck when the music has a nice bass. Oh, what's happening right now? But you know! The darkest hour, oh yeah, sock it to me, is always, always just before the dawn, yeah. Anyway, for $200, you get a lot of speaker. It's a very rugged build, water-resistant, but not waterproof. So read the reviews at the JBL.com site. Read the reviews from the other reviewers. I guess they were a bit misguided. They didn't understand the versatility and the lifestyle aspect of the JBL sound gear. It's going to be so useful to me for my music practice and when I'm doing sing-along and when I'm walking and cycling and all that other stuff. So definitely consider this. It's a premium product. Start saving your pounds, guilders, shekels, lira, drachma, and everything else you've got. Because this is worth it at $200 for the JBL sound gear. 
back next week. Yes, it does. Thank you, John, for another entertaining uh, Nemo's Hardware Store. And uh, looking at the clock, me and Vic have been going quite a long time. So we're going to power through uh, a few of the other stories that I managed to dig up. And uh, then we'll call it a day, I think. Doesn't look like Mark's going to make it. He's probably sweltering somewhere in his car in a stinking traffic jam. So (laughs) bad luck, Mark. Bad luck. (laughs) Okay, what have we got? Right. Shall we have a look at the security ones, Vic? Did you? Sure. Sure. Um, most of these are quite quite quick stories, to be honest. So we'll just skim past them fairly quickly. Um, over 20 million users installed malicious ad blockers from the Chrome Store. Uh, this was from the Hacker News. And um, well, it speaks for itself, really. Uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, but it Re- reinforces my happiness that I don't really use Chrome. Yeah, yes, uh, and that I have pretty much divorced myself from Google. Um, if you haven't installed any of the below-mentioned ad blocker extensions in Chrome browser, you could have been hacked. Uh, a security researcher spotted five malicious ad blockers in the Chrome store, uh, and they'd been installed by at least 20 million people. That's um, a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Um, the five malicious extensions uh, are copycat versions of legitimate, well-known ad blockers. So um, creators of these extensions also use popular keywords in their names and descriptions to rank them, blah, blah, all the usual. Um, apparently, ad remover for Google Chrome, uh, 10 million plus users. Ublock Plus, which I've never heard of. Um, a fake version of Adblock Pro, uh, 2 million users. A thing called HD for YouTube, uh, 400,000. And Webutation, about 30,000. So the top two really are a thing called Ad Remover for Google Chrome and Ublock Plus, which I've never heard of, which was another 8 million. Um, yeah. And the That's fake. A lot of people. That's a lot of people. And then fake Adblock Pro. Uh, luckily, well, it's two million people. Um, that's still a lot of people using a, a, a fake ad blocker. Um, mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, the malicious extensions, blah, 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 tells you what they do. Uh, you were advised to install as few extensions as possible and only from companies you trust, which is the common thing. But, of course, uh, I suspect most people would trust the Chrome store to not be, you know, delivering them. Yeah, I would think so. Bad extensions. So I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable that they would expect that should be safe. <laughs> no. So there you go. Um, there's not really much more to say about that other than... Um, Look out. If you're a Chrome user, you might want to check. Um, how you will know if your Adblock uh, Plus or whatever is a fake or compromised version, I don't know. There we go. He doesn't actually say in here if there's uh, some way of um, finding them. There we go. So, caution, caution, caution. But, uh, yeah, that, that's quite nasty. That's a lot of people affected by... Um, and, you know, if they're downloading their Chrome extensions from the Chrome store, you can, you know, they're not exactly going to what they would expect to be an untrustworthy source, are they? Yeah. No. Okay. Um, can you imagine the kerfuffle if that had happened from the oh, App Store? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. If if, uh, if Apple had done it, the, the sky would be falling. It would be the yeah. end of the world. Yeah. And there would be a lot of people... You know, laughing and jumping up and down, and well, 
just making pay from it, I'm sure. Um, and yet this is, uh, I think the Hacker News is about the only place I saw that story. Um, I'm not sure if it's turned up anywhere else, but uh, I get most of my stories via my uh, Apple News, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've got one here. Now, this came from, uh, I think it was, I can't remember who it was. It was somebody in the Slack room. Sorry, whoever it was. I can't remember. It might have been Mac Jim or it might have been Dougie. Uh However, simplify and secure your logins with a YubiKey. Uh, this came from Wired, um, and the YubiKey is basically a hardware uh, two-factor authenticator. Uh, it's like a USB key uh, that mm-hmm. you can plug into your computer. Uh, they do USB-A and USB-C versions. Um, they mention they mention Android, so I guess you can use uh, the USB-C ones with USB-C equipped Android phones. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't mention iOS, so uh, I'm not sure you can make it work with iOS. Although maybe you could do it if you had a USB, or is it the camera adapter thing for your iPad? Yeah. Um, it, so does this thing work like a, a like those little pendant things that that a lot of people carry that would typically have like a, a code number displayed on it that that refreshes from satellite? Except instead of having to type in the number, you just plug it in. Uh, Am I understanding that correct? Sort of. I think it doesn't really uh, explain how it works as such. It's a it's a two uh, it's a hardware two factor authenticator. Um, this little key shaped fob plugs into your computer and along with your password completes the second half of the 2FA web login. Um, Whilst a hacker might find a way to snoop your password or intercept a six-digit two-factor authentication code which is sent to your phone, they'd be hard-pressed to snatch the key off your keychain. Um, If you already use an app like Google Authenticator or Duo Security, or Microsoft do one as well, actually, don't they? Microsoft Authenticator. Um, And those are the ones I've got got some of those for some services where it will say to me, now enter the code from your app, Mm -hmm. or you can, but yes, or you could, you used to be able to get little hardware ones which generated a a six-digit code. Um, This, I, I think you put the you have to pair it when you get it I think and then you just plug it in so I assume it generates the, it may well be generating codes on the fly I mean it's battery free uh, so maybe it, maybe it's simply an authenticator in the, in the sense of the traditional dongle that simply plugging it in you know is, is enough it's a, a second second thing you have to plug the stick in so and it's then not it, an intellectual key it's an actual key yeah it's a, it's, it's look like it, they do ones here they look like a, well they look like a little USB stick um, they also do some for laptops which are you know really small so that they only just poke out of the like those um, oh, like the sort of wireless uh, yeah adapters you can get for cheaper for, for mice and keyboards and yeah things those like those sort of things um the yubi key ones uh start at twenty dollars for one which is simply called the security key um and then they do a yubi key four series which ranges in price from 40 to 60 dollars and uh, an nfc compatible yubi key neo which is 50 dollars um mm-hmm. so there, there's a variety of them uh they use ut U2F and FIDO2, which apparently are recognised standard for uh, authentication. Hmm. Um, quite interesting. I had a look. Uh, obviously, they're not the cheapest. Twenty dollars up, up to fifty dollars. Um, the trouble is, if you want the small one that would go in your laptop um, and not poke out like a USB stick, you're talking at the top end. And if you've got uh, 
if you've got a, a USB-C uh, MacBook, you're going to have to buy one of the more expensive ones. Uh, I did have a look on Amazon, and I found some cheaper um, USB-A ones, which go for about $10. So uh, an interesting an interesting little read. Uh, it's on Wired. I'll, the link will be in the show notes, of course. Uh, it, yeah. It's another authenticator, basically. Um, plug your key in so that they know it's you, um, like a security guard or anything else, I guess. Just yeah. just another way. As they say here, um, it, you know, if you're worried about it, if you were to mislay or leave your key behind, you can still do the two-factor authentication by any of the other means that you might use, such as, you know, Google Authenticator or Texty or Phone. And if you completely lost it, you can simply go into your account and remove it from your account and say, no longer valid. So, uh, yeah, it's a... That's interesting. It's an interesting thing for those people who are um, who are concerned about such things. Uh, and if if you are, um, you know, if you do have to verify a lot of stuff, I guess it could be it could be quite useful. It could be a useful thing to have if you don't want to have to keep using those, you know, six codes either sent to your phone or by a generator app. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there we go. Just a, something I hadn't really been aware of. The idea that you know, I mean, having read it, it's it's blindingly obvious. Of course, somebody's going to say, well. Why not have a, another token that you can plug in, prove that you are who you say you are? So there we go. That was that. Was that. And I think that's about it. We've, we've talked about uh, the Telegram. So mm-hmm. um, we'll just take a quick look at the tech news once in. Uh, this one is we mentioned last time when we were talking uh, with Mark about the Qualcomm-powered uh, HP, HP Envy 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a sort of a Windows laptop tablet uh, that runs on the Snapdragon. Uh, and there's a review here from CNBC, which is called, I tried a Windows tablet that runs on Qualcomm, and boy, did I miss Intel. Um, <laughs> it's... Nice headline. Yeah, it's a, a relatively damning review. Um and what he basically says is uh it's not good enough <laughs> <laughs> it might it might give you all day uh what did you say microsoft and partners tried this approach before and i should have learned from history Nokia produced a Lumia tablet running a watered-down version of Windows called Windows RT. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft ultimately killed the whole initiative. These new generation ship with Windows 10S, which is a watered-down version of Windows 10. Um, however, these can be updated to a full version of Windows 10. Unfortunately, when I did this, I find... You can't run any old Windows app that you might run on another computer. Uh, This is one of the flaws that sank the last attempt, and it hasn't been fixed. And here's what you need to know. Uh, Light, thin, thinner than a Microsoft Surface, on par with some of the Windows 10 tablets we've seen. Uh, It's $1,000. Comes with a keyboard and a pen and a sharp, bright 12.3-inch display. Um, I like backlit keyboards, blah, blah. The battery life is really good. That was obviously one of its main selling points. Uh, lasted through several days of intermittent use on a single charge. Hmm. Um, it's quick at booting. Uh, however, installing an update or restoring the computer takes forever compared to an Intel processor. Uh, works with all the apps in the Microsoft Windows Store. Um, but what's bad? The Snapdragon processor is built on an architecture by ARM, which we know. Um, it doesn't support every Windows app out of the box. There's an emulator, I think simulator, that lets you run some older applications, but not newer 64-bit applications. Hmm. Ouch. 
Uh, That's a big hit. Yeah, that is. That that seems to be the main problem. It doesn't support 64-bit applications for Windows. I wasn't able to install applications which I need in order to do some of my work. I couldn't install an antivirus application or uh, the Cisco AnyConnect VPN. Uh, this is bizarre. These machines are targeted at mobile professionals. I don't <laughs> think most IT prof- uh, departments will like it either. Uh, Hewlett-Packard told CNBC it does not think the NV2 is a competitor to the typical Windows computers. Um, this is going to be a problem in the real world. People who buy a Windows laptop expect it to run all the Windows apps they need. If you buy mm-hmm. an NVX2 thinking you can just run off and install everything you would on your Surface Pro, for example, you're going to be severely disappointed. So, um, well, I mean, there's a, there's a, whole, there's a review there. Um, seems to be that nice idea, but yet again, hobbled. It's another Windows RT type pocket. <laughs> It's just yeah. Good times. I mean, when we when we read, you know, when we were looking at the at, the, at it, uh, and it had just been released, I think, a couple of weeks ago, it sounded really, really great. You know, it sounded like a really nice idea. It's a, a Snapdragon powered Windows 10 tablet slash laptop MacBook, uh, you know, uh, iPad Pro type yeah. device. But it won it runs Windows 10, so that was sounding great. But now they're saying if you can't install 64-bit Windows apps, then yeah, you are severely hobbled, aren't you? That, that we're back in Windows RT territory. Yeah, and and that's what sunk Windows RT. People couldn't tell the difference between RT and and full-blown Windows, and then found that they couldn't install all the things they wanted. Then they could tell the difference. Yeah, uh, yeah, but <laughs> then you yeah, but in this case, you're then nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars down. Not uh, you know, not a cheap device, is it? I mean, a thousand dollars. You're you're approaching the price of a of a MacBook Pro. Certainly, you know. Yeah. Certainly, a MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. Or, of course, uh, you know, the the Surface or a or, or an iPad, an iPad yeah. Pro. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, disappointing. I was disappointed when I read that. To be fair, I'm not. I've never been a Windows lover, but I'm not a Windows hater, and I, I was disappointed by that. That was seemed to be another. Oh, really? You've messed it up again. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Opera are killing their free VPN. Apparently, um, this was on Cult of Mac. Uh, o- Opera, the manufacturers, obviously, of the mm-hmm. Opera browser, uh, have, I didn't know this, but apparently they've been operating a free VPN. I assume that it's accessed via the Opera browser. But they're pulling it, um, probably because it's costing them too much money, I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, running a VPN can't be uh, can't be that cheap. Are there enough Opera users to make that expensive? I don't know. There are people who are... <laughs> well, the people who like Opera tend to be very heavily... And, of course, it's quite, I think it's quite popular on Android. Oh, is it? I think it's quite popular on them as a mobile browser on, on Android. Um Oh, that would make some sense then. Yeah, because I know that their mo their mobile um, browser was heavily has been heavily praised both on Android and Mac because it's very swift, uh, very optimized. Um, yeah, if my memory serves correctly. Don't they have for their mobile version? Don't they do a lot of pre processing server side somewhere and then send you the uh, stripped down thing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and they also do a, a kind of pre-hashing thing where it... Yeah, it's all very clever. And outside my pay grade, you'd probably understand it better than me, Vic, yeah. to be honest. Um, I don't know. It kind of sounds like somebody looking at what I'm looking at before I look at it to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the paid alternative to Opera VPN. Opera VPN launched in 2016 and an Opera Gold edition debuted the following year with faster speeds. And that was $30 a year. But this apparently was not enough to keep the service afloat. 
bloke. Uh, Opera Gold subscribers are being given a free one-year subscription to Surf Easy Ultra VPN, uh, a value of $78. Uh, this makes sense. Surf Easy is owned by Opera Software. Um, and those who use the free version of Opera VPN are being an offered a, an 80% discount from the Surf Easy Total VPN, which is normally $5 a month or $48 a year. Yeah. Uh, so basically, Surf Easy was already handling the VPN traffic for Opera uh, and is apparently owned by Opera. So this simply cuts out the middleman and the free option. So there you go. Opera's free VPN uh, is dead or being killed, which is quite sad, I suppose. But, you know, everything has a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much it. There's a piece here. Uh, I'll mention this. We won't bother to talk about it a bit unless you particularly want to. But the, the OLPC, one laptop per child. $100 laptop was going to change the world and then it all went horribly wrong. Uh, that's a piece on The Verge. The link's in the show and it's quite a good read for those of us who remember it and uh, about, yeah, well, about how the OLPC project... Yeah, what's, what's, what's the too long didn't read version? Uh, the too long didn't read was over-promised, under-delivered and got caught out by the mobile revolution. Gotcha. Uh, by the time they got it into a semi-viable state, it was probably selling for closer to $200. Uh, The the wind-up version, because that was the original promise, wasn't it, that it it would have a wind, you know, like the wind-up radio? Yeah, it would have a a crank handle on it so that uh, kids in Africa and whatnot could wind it up. Um, The crank handle was pulled almost immediately because it didn't work. Um, The price never reached the $100 level. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, oh, the other thing that it relied on was a kind of mesh networking so that uh, they could deliver um, internet to places without typical internet infrastructure. Uh, That apparently didn't work properly. And uh, then mobile came along and pretty much, you know, when you can buy a a cheap Android phone and do most of the things, that kind of, apparently they're still making them. There are places where they are popular, particularly the classroom machines. They're popular uh, because they run the Sugar OS and they're, um, they're designed for, to teach kids coding and how to make mm-hmm. things and build things. So there are um, apparently areas where they're still in use and still quite popular. But, you know, the grand the grand plan crashed and burned, which was a little bit sad, really. I, I think it was... It, a, it is, because it's actually, it, it, was, it was a good initiative. Yes. I, I, the, main, the main thrust of the article was it was... Uh, you know, a noble idea uh, that over-promised, under-delivered, and then, well, became gradually more irrelevant. There you go. There we go. So, But that's an interesting read if anybody's interested in that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's a moderately long piece and explains a bit more in depth about the, the OS. And uh, I, I believe this, uh, the OS is now separate and, and so on. Um, I wonder if you can get Sugar OS for Raspberry Pi if you wanted to do it. That would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um. Well, Vic, I think we'll call that a day, don't you? All right. Uh, thank you for coming on and uh, oh, listening to me. Thank you for having me. To me <laughs> listening to me ramble. And uh, right, this is the part where you get to shill yourself. Where I get to shill myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, any projects that you uh, would like to remind the listeners that you're involved. Uh, 
Uh, they could check out my uh, my perpetual beta apps, uh, Health Up Display, which I'm actually hoping to release pretty soon. And I added it to the show notes in another one called Mowing Meter, which has started out as a joke several years ago, but kind of turned into an app that I just never got around to releasing in the store. I really need to, to get that out there, too. Mowing Meter was a, a fitness tracker for the backyard, I called it. Uh, basically, it counts steps while you're mowing the lawn. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, uh, you know, why not? Why not? Yeah. Sounds yeah. like uh, quite fun, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I had it to where it was just about ready to go and and could actually be a pretty viable 1.0 just using the pedometer chip in the iPhone. And then the Apple Watch came out and, and the whole real fitness tracking craze, you know, with Fitbits and all that really started up. So then I kind of decided that I needed to completely retool it and make it an actual real fitness tracker, but tailored, you know, for the backyard use. And then Swift came out and I got on that bandwagon and I decided I'd start a Swift rewrite of it. And well, you know how that story goes. <laughs> yeah, we know how it goes. Yeah. But, that's but uh, I need to get it out there. But uh, they're, they're actually working betas for both of those that people can try out if they want to sign up for. Excellent. And then they can find me on Twitter at Vic Hudson one. And also newly I'm on micro blog. You can find me at uh, Vic Hudson one dot micro dot blog. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and they should check out Bubble Sword and Pocket Size Podcast of and course. Pragmatic, all those good things. Yep. Well, they're all in the show list, Vic, so uh, we will make sure that uh, all the listeners know where all of those excellent podcasts are, that they can also add to their ever-expanding list of podcasts. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so they can be like me, constantly looking at, you know, 30 hours of unlistened to podcasts and wondering yeah, how I'm going to I'm, I'm right there up. with you, man. I'm right there with you. I've got them. I've got them in Overcast. I've got them subdivided into to different playlists for different kinds of kinds of content and topics and stuff. And uh, sadly, I must admit there are a few playlists that I never actually get to. And I, I I thank God that Overcast can actually manage that. You know, to to just purge out the old as it brings in the new. <laughs> it's not just slowly filling up my phone. No, exactly. I've set mine to uh, I think two or three unlistened to. So if I don't get to if I don't get to it, if two more two new ones come out, then and the other yeah. one. Well, a lot of those shows, you know, if you don't listen to it while it's current, there's not much point in listening to it. Some things are timeless, and you can listen to them anytime, but. A lot of what we consume these days, you know, if you don't catch it while it's still relatively fresh, then it's not really much point listening to it. That is true. That is true. Um, and uh, yes, it's like John Gruber. I'm sorry, John, but your four hour podcast, I never got to listen to it. I'm sure it was very interesting, <laughs> but four, four hours was just too much for me to face. Um, yeah. I'm sure. Was that, I, the, uh, was that the Marco Armit one, the four hour one? Yeah, I, that, yeah, that, I, I think so. Because there was but another. I listen to pretty much anything Marco comes on. Yeah, there was a. I, I think previously his record again. I think was with Marco, and they'd done a three and a bit hour one. Yeah. But I think they. I think John released it as two separate podcasts. He broke it into part one and part two. Yeah. But this this last one, it was just four hours, and it's like here you go, here's a four hour podcast. And it was like, no, sorry, John, <laughs> I can't. I know I don't have to listen to it all in one go, but I just can't. I can't face it. Yeah. I just, it's bad enough trying to watch a three-hour movie, let alone listen to a four-hour podcast. So uh, there we go. Uh, right. Well, thank you for coming on. I will now just do the usual bit where I tell uh, all the listeners that, of course, you can reach me 
on at Serenak on Twitter, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. And Mark is at Ocean Speed, and the show itself is at Essential Apple. We have, of course, the EssentialApple.com website, and we also post our shows on MyMac.com. And uh, I think that will do for this week. So thank you for coming on, Vic. Thank and, you for uh, having me, man. It's been fun. So, it has. Goodbye, everybody. There we go. We are part of the MyMac.com podcasting network, where you can find such excellent shows as Guy and Gaz on the MyMac show, Tim and David on the Tech Fan show, The Three Geeky Ladies, The Geekiest Show Ever, uh, the excellent Bart Bouchotts with his Let's Talk, The Club Nintendo, and many, many more. Well, she was just scary. I'm sorry. Yeah, they, go, they go on about... Well, I, I that girl looked like she was probably taking blood. From various <laughs> members of the audience. Is, is she Australian? Is she uh, Australian? No, actually, I think she's from Transylvania. Because <laughs> <laughs> I squirkle around on a mattress. What? I don't know. The G Men on the MyMac.com podcast. The Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.